not real sure how to follow that. And I feel like you're going to be disappointed from here on out. I don't, I don't know. Uh, um, it really is. I mean, it is a pleasure uh, to be here. Uh, it's an honor. Um, I just want to give a shout out to, to Graham and to Heather, uh, Jason and, and Ava. Uh, I mean, you have some amazing pastors here. And, and I can just tell you from, from the bottom of my heart, I, I love them deeply. Uh, I have loved serving them. Uh, they have been a blessing to me. Uh, it, you know, I, I was standing there during, during the worship and I, and I realized, you know, one of the worst possible things that can happen when you're a guest speaker, right? And you're, you're walking into a new place and, and no one here really knows you that well. And I'm sitting there in worship and I'm like, God's like wrecking my heart in the middle of worship because it's just dawning on me over and over how much God has done in my life and how much I have experienced his love in times that I didn't think I could. And, and, and I'm like, wait, God, I, I've got to speak in a minute. Can you just hold off, you know, for, for a little bit? And, and, and so I, I just want you to know that what happens here, that this, this community of faith uh, is just doing such great work. And you guys are just impacting this community in some phenomenal ways. And, and just Converge Mid-Atlantic, we are so proud of you. We are so proud that you are part of our network of churches and we are here to serve you and we are so excited that we can do that. And so I bring you, I guess, you know, I'm, I'm supposed to bring you official greetings, right? From, from the, the uppity ups that actually <laughs> exist to serve you. We don't, we have no authority. We just here to serve. And uh, so I really am, am thankful for the opportunity. Um, I was here about, I guess it was about eight, nine months ago. Uh, and you, you did one of your, and my mind just went blank is what you call them, but the serve things where you go out into the community and you do something really, really cool. And, and so I got to go do that during this service and, and then came back for the 11 o'clock service. And I, it was just awesome. Like, I, I just cannot tell you how much uh, it, it is a blessing to know that there are churches like you all over the place doing God's work in amazing ways. Uh, and, and so I'm just, yeah, I'm excited to be here. Uh, it is definitely a privilege uh, and, and an honor. Now, the secret that I was told is that this service is way better than the 11. I, I, don't, I mean, I can't really see your faces, so I'm just going to assume that's true. Uh, but I, I really am glad. I, so I was given the task of continuing in the series that, that you guys started. Uh, you, it's the summer glow, this whole idea of, of, of really connecting with God in the midst of all this. And, and you've been working through Luke 18. And so the verses that I've been given to, uh, to dive into today and to spend some time just kind of meditating on these, processing these, saying, what is God doing as he, as he works through these verses? Um, let me just read them, and then we will dive in and, and, and see where, where God takes us. Uh, Luke chapter 18, starting verse 31. Taking the 12 disciples aside, Jesus said, listen, we're going up to Jerusalem, where all the predictions of the prophets concerning the Son of Man will come true. By the way, the son of man, he's referring to himself, okay? Um, he will be handed over to the Romans, and he will be mocked, treated shamefully, and spit upon. They will flog him and whip him and kill him. But on the third day, he will rise again. But they, the disciples, didn't understand any of this. The significance of his words was hidden from them. And they failed to grasp what he was talking about. I was reading about this mausoleum. Uh, it's, it's actually in, it's called the, the Gala Placidia. 
It's in Ravenna, Italy. It's one of the oldest mausoleums that are, that's still preserved. It was, it was constructed like 1,500 years ago by the emperor who was doing it to honor his sister who had passed away. And, and this amazing structure uh, has all this stuff, but the biggest uh, draw of this structure is there is this incredible mosaic on the ceiling of this mausoleum. And the problem is you, you really can't see the ceiling because it's a mausoleum with tiny little windows. Right, and a lot of uh, you know visitors come. Right, they, they come and they they, they want to see this amazing thing, and they've seen postcards that have the picture of this of the ceiling, and, and and they're all excited to do it. And you walk in, and and there's you know a long line of of guests walking through this, but it's very dark, and you really can't see. And you you kind of have this idea of I'm I'm going to be well, I'm disappointed. Let's just get out of here. This is stupid. What a waste of time. I can't see a thing. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere you can hear the clink of a coin being dropped into one of the metal boxes when a visitor drops that in and all of a sudden spotlights come on and the entire ceiling is illuminated for like just a moment. And you just stand there and you're like, oh, and then the lights go out again. And you just kind of have to wait till someone drops another coin in the box. And as soon as it says, boom, it illuminates. And it's, it's this mosaic of, of indigo and stars and all this. But at the very center, the focal point of this mosaic is Jesus surrounded by sheep as the good shepherd. And every so often, in an unpredictable way, except when someone drops a coin in, you catch this glimpse of what some, honestly, some scholars have called one of the most perfect pieces of art that has ever been done but you only get a little bit and you can't see all of it at once because there's too much to take in. And so sometimes I wonder in, in our own life and, and as we even look at the disciples and everything that they've gone going through and all this, I, I wonder if there are many times in our life that we don't get the full picture of what God is doing, right? We don't see all of everything. We don't see the, the deer that's off on the side there that, that is just hiding in the woods and it's just beautiful and perfect. We can't see that because we've got something else and then the lights go out and we can't see anything. And then we wonder, is God here? What's going on? I don't know. I'm ready to leave. Let's just get out of here because I don't think this is really as beautiful as people said it would be. And we just don't get it. You ever had that in your life? where you just don't get it. God's doing something. Something is happening. But I feel like the, I'm showing my age, but I remember in the 80s, right? You got the, 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 the high school girls. I don't get it. <laughs> right? Some of you remember that because you were that person. But I, <laughs> we've got this caricature, right? But how often are we as followers of Jesus in that going, looking around saying, I see this, I see this, I see what's going on, but I don't, God, I don't get what you're doing. I don't understand. I can't grasp how this plan is supposed to be your plan. In the midst of this, think about it, Jesus, in this text, Jesus is literally sharing with them the most significant events that are going to happen in the history of humanity. And it says, I don't get it. <laughs> Now, let's be honest, it was, you know, 12 dudes. They probably weren't paying that close of attention, right? I mean, you know, that, but even in the midst of that, right, they, they're going, I, I, don't, I don't understand. So why, why do you think 
too often in our lives, we don't get it. What, what are some things that lead us to the point where God is doing something, but we, don't, we can't see it, we don't get it, we don't understand what God is trying to accomplish in our life, through our life, around our life? I think one of the first things that I, comes to my mind when I'm thinking about why it is we don't get it is because what we think God should do keeps us from seeing what God is doing. What we think God should do, God, you, I did all the right things. Why didn't I get the job? Why didn't I get the raise? I, I trained up my child in the way they should go, and yet, man, they're making some stupid choices. God, what, what you should be doing doesn't seem to be happening, and because of, I, I can't think beyond that, I can't see what God is actually doing. I think that's what was going on with the disciples. Right? They knew in their mind, they thought this is what God should be doing. God is supposed to come and set up his kingdom. God is supposed to send the Messiah who is going to come and he's going to establish God's kingdom on earth. He is going to be the one that rules. We are one of the 12. Therefore, we're going to be the guys who have some power. We're going to be the ones in charge. We're going to be pretty important. We might even get rich out of this. You never know. But this is what God is doing. This is what God said he would do. This is what he should do because we've done everything right. We left everything to follow you, Jesus. Right? They say that. Hey, we left everything to follow you. What are you talking about? Death and arrest and that, that, no, that's not how this should go. And so they don't actually hear what God is saying. You ever talk to the person and they've already come to a conclusion and started to respond and they, you, you haven't even finished what you're saying yet? <laughs> I sent some elbows. Right, they, 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 they they're talking, right? And you're trying to show them something. And as you're doing it, all of a sudden, they're already responding. They're like, okay, so that means that, that. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 no. I was talking about dinner. I wasn't talking about next week's plan. You know, like, I'm just saying, let's do it. They totally don't get it because they weren't listening. Because they assumed already, this is where you're going. This is what you're going to do. This is what you're trying to say. And so they all of a sudden go down that road without even actually stopping to hear because they think what you should be doing is this because this is what I want. <laughs> and they don't actually hear what you're doing or wanting to do. Think about the context of when Jesus tells them this, right? If you go back a little bit in, in Luke 18, you guys have already studied some of these. You've got the persistent widow, right? You've got the children being blessed. You've got the rich, the rich dude who really doesn't want Jesus. And, and, and right after that, you've got the blind guy who finally sees. In the midst of this, the disciples who see Jesus saying, hey, listen, be like the persistent widow, the one who has no power, the one who really can't get anything done, the one who seems to be an annoying nag because she wants to see God's justice happen. Be like, you know, be like the children, you know, the ones that have no power, the ones that really everyone wants to just say, hey, children should be, you know, not seen or heard, quite honestly. You just need to stay out of the way. That was the culture then. 
Jesus is saying, look, this rich guy who you think the formula is, if you're rich, that means you're blessed by God. That means you're doing something right in order for God to bless you. Hey, guess what? No, no, you're missing the points. You see, their formula for living got turned upside down and they didn't even know it. What we think God should be doing, God, I, I did the right things. I followed this. I was obedient. I go to church every week. I was really nice to this homeless person. That means dot, 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 blessing, right? But I don't see the blessing. So God, you got to fix this. You got to change this. Come on, this is what you should be doing. And we can't see what God is actually doing. And now this formula that we've kind of created, this I, I did the right things, therefore I should be blessed, that's a very Western, modern idea. right? Because it, it's rooted in this idea that, hey, guess what? I am as good as what I produce. Right? I, I am... I am as important, I am as significant as what I bring to the table. However much I bring to the table should dictate then how significant I am. And we've, become, we've come to the point where we equate our own significance, even the meaning of our lives, with what we produce, what we bring to the table. And therefore, if I'm not bringing anything that great, I must not be important. And that's the way we've started to interpret life. And that's not at all the way God says life happens. I mean, think about it. What, what, is, what does Jesus do? He comes and he becomes a human, a baby, helpless. He's poor. He doesn't have power. He doesn't walk around with the authority of the worldly powers. He doesn't get rich. Because that's not the goal. That's not what he's trying to do. He wants us to see that God's kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. Where the first are the last. And the greatest is the servant of all. You see, we, we have this idea that we do things for God. Because we want God to see how good we do so he will love us more. He will bless us. He will do things for us. And that's how we think God should react, how God should respond within the world that we have. I do this, dot, 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 blessing. The old Seinfeld, yada, 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 <laughs> right? Blessing. When this is our mindset, we can easily stop seeing what God is doing unless it is directly tied to our efforts and to our blessings. I read a book, it's been five or six years ago now. The guy's name is Sky Jatani, which is just a fun name, but he wrote this book called With. And the premise of the book is that we as followers of Christ, especially in our modern world, we think of God and serving God, we talk about serving from God, right? We are from God, therefore we have this authority, we have this that's going to happen because we're doing it from God. And things should come from God because I'm his follower. Like I should follow certain principles and therefore my business is blessed. Or we talk about doing things for God, right? God, I want to show you how privileged you are that I am on your team. 
Or maybe we start doing things from under God. We're like, God, I'm trying to follow your rules because I just, I don't want you to zap me. Right? I, please, I'm just going to do everything I can to make sure you, you stay happy with me. Or maybe we do things over God. We're like, God, I have read the Bible. I have figured out these four principles of life that I know every time I do them, it's, it's going to therefore lead to X because I got to figure it out. So God, here's your box. I want you to sit right here <laughs> and I want you to be in your God box so that when I open it on certain ways that boom, I'm going to get things done. And that's how we often approach God and we live our life from or for or over or under God. And yet really what Jesus is even saying in this passage and in several others, he's saying, no, 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 I want you to do life with me so that you can see what I'm doing and not what you think I should be doing so that you can then respond to where I'm actually moving. And then you can actually experience what it is to do ministry with me. The problem with that is when we actually stop long enough and we say, okay, this is what I think God should be doing, but this is what he's actually doing, and so I gotta, I gotta get this figured out in my brain, right? I got, I got to make it work. The problem is we have to admit then that sometimes, number two, God plans the pain. And that's a hard one to say. Because I'm not saying God is out to hurt us, but I want us to see that sometimes God actually plans for the pain to happen because there's something else he's trying to accomplish. I mean, Jesus is telling them, this is what is going to happen. This is plan A. This is the plan. This is where I'm going. God had this plan. I mean, we know it says since the beginning of time, right? In, in Genesis chapter three, we have what's called the Proto-Evangelicum, the first declaration of the good news, where it says, what, the snake kind of condemning the snake and all this stuff. And he says, he, there will come a, a person who will crush the snake, even though the snake will bite him on the heel. There's someone coming who will crush evil. And evil will wound him deeply in the process. This is thousands of years. This has been God's plan. And Jesus is saying, it's about to happen. This is the, it's not that, you know, the, the cross happens. Jesus, Jesus goes into Jerusalem and he's shocked when the re religious leaders show up and, and they, they arrest him and then they turn him over to, to the you know, Roman authorities. It's not like Jesus is saying, oh no, okay, now how am I going to flip this to make a win out of it, right? Jesus said, no, no, this is the plan. And, and I wonder if sometimes we're a little afraid to admit that sometimes God needs to do something in our life that might be a little painful. Jesus had already told this, the disciples multiple times that this was coming. Okay, this was not the first time that he shared it with them. Matthew 16, Mark 8, earlier in Luke chapter 9, he's saying over and over, hey guys, just so you know, you're not going to get it, you're not going to understand it, you're not going to believe me, but just so you know, when it happens, I've told you multiple times, this is what's going to go down. Think about all the major characters in the Bible. 
Okay, I guess you can't think of all of them all at once. That might take a while, but you know what I'm saying. Let's look back and think of a few. Uh, the major characters, the great leaders throughout Scripture, every single one of them had to go through some pain to get to the point where they could be used by God in an amazing way. And Moses, 40 years being a shepherd in the wilderness for his father-in-law. I mean, think about that. You want to work for your in-laws for 40 years? David, running from Saul, living in the wilderness. I mean, at one point, he has to pretend to be crazy so that he can stay with some Philippines, or some, some of these Philistines that don't even like him. They're enemies. But he pretends like he's crazy. So he can do that and be safe. You got all this stuff going on. That All these people, Jacob, Right? He's so out in the middle of nowhere and he's running from his brother because he screwed him over, let's be honest, right? All these, things, all these times where the pain has to happen so that we can get to what God is going to actually do with us. I, I, just, I read a book recently. That it just came out last week. Um, I was talking with the author. His name is Aaron Burke. And one thing he calls all of these things is an unfair advantage that we have. If you've gone through pain, failure, rejection, it actually becomes later an unfair advantage because now you've experienced something, you've gone through something, and you're better prepared for God to now shape you, for God to do something. See, in the pain, it's, it's hard for us to understand what God is doing in the moment. It can be very hard. It can even be a little disheartening. Because I mean, I don't like to admit that God might be causing the pain in my life because that doesn't fit into my nice little God box that I had. My nice, neat little concept of God. Because that, that God wouldn't cause pain. No, no, he's only there to bless me. He's my little genie, right? That I just rub the box every so often when I need a blessing. I don't like a God that's bigger than me. I don't like a God that is actually God. Because I can't control that God. So I forget, I forget that in the midst of the pain, I can get confused about where God is and what he's doing because that's not what he should be doing. Psalm 77 says, I cry out to God. Yes, I shout. Oh, that God would listen to me. When I was in deep trouble, I searched for the Lord. All night long I prayed with hands lifted toward heaven, but my soul was not comforted. Let me just be honest. I can relate to that passage. I can think, about, think back about a few times, even in the last four or five years, where that was like my life verse in that moment. God, I, I'm crying out to you, and I don't think you're even listening. I don't know what you're doing. I don't like this. This hurts. And yet, felt like God was silent. So what do you do? What do you do when, when things are happening that seem to be the opposite of what we thought God was supposed to be doing, what was supposed to be happening, and we can't understand it? Right? What? We don't want to admit that God might be behind it, but in the same breath, we have to say, but if God is behind it, am I going to learn anything from it? 
can I actually see what, what is really a blind spot, right? Maybe this is revealing, because that's the problem with blind spots. You can't see them, right? You don't know that they're there. You need someone else to give you some perspective so you can actually understand what you're missing because you don't even know you're missing it oftentimes. So let me just give you a couple real quick, I hate to call them tips because that sounds really trite, but then let me tell you some things that I have learned in my life that help me see my blind spots, that help me understand that when, when God is doing something, even when it's not what I think he's supposed to do, when he's doing it, I've got some things that have helped me given me a filter so that I can hopefully discern this is God working, pay attention. First thing for me is I, I got to find friends with whom I can be vulnerable. And I'm not talking I need a hundred. I'm talking I need a couple. Every Thursday morning, I have breakfast with two other pastors, and it sounds like a really bad joke, a Baptist, a Southern Baptist, and a Methodist walk into a Cracker Barrel, right? I mean, it's but we have been doing this for about six years now. And it started in a time when I said, guys, I need a couple of people that I can just be honest with that I don't have to worry about my church finding out because I got some problems that I need to process. I said, I have no vision left. I have no idea what God is doing. I can't hear from him. I'm supposed to lead this church and I am lost. And I sat down with them and I said, guys, I just need you to help me. And I remember one of them looked at me and said, listen, Jason, for the next little bit, lean on our faith, lean on our vision, and just stay in there. And they meant it. And I did. And I got through it. And it wasn't a year or two later, we're still meeting, we're still talking, we're still going through stuff together, just doing life together. And, and, and we have breakfast one Thursday morning and, and uh, at about 10.30, 11 o'clock, I get a text from one of the guys saying, hey, uh, we're gonna have to meet for lunch too. Now we're really fancy, so we went to Wendy's. Um, <laughs> but we, we sit down at Wendy's and this, this other pastor looks at us and he says, I got back from our breakfast and my wife informed me she's leaving me. I didn't see it coming. I don't know what to do. I'm lost. And we looked at him and we, we cried together and we said, we'll, we'll be your faith for a little bit. We'll be, lean on us. We can't fix it. We're not gonna make it all better, but we're gonna at least hold you up through it. Two years later, his wife did leave him. And he met someone else, someone who is a partner in ministry in some amazing ways. Two years later, the other three pastors stood up with him and we performed the wedding ceremony of him marrying this, this person. And it's phenomenal, it's amazing. You need some friends with whom you can be vulnerable, who can say, something's happening. I don't think God is doing this, but I also can't get past the fact that that's because I don't want God to be doing this. Help me see. Jesus had friends. Even Jesus, I mean, you know, and he had levels of friends, right? He had the multitudes. He had his fans, right? But then there was the 120 that were a little closer, kind of supporting his ministry, walking with him quite often. And then he had the 70 that he actually sent out as kind of missionaries, right, to do the ministry. And then he had the 12. 
And even within the 12, it says there were three that were really close. And even within the three, there was one that was kind of his closest friend. It's okay for you to only have a couple of these very close friends that you're vulnerable with, but please have someone. Because they're going to help you see what you can't see. Did you know you can't see the middle of your back? Not directly. You need a mirror, right? You need someone else. There are parts of you you can't see. There are blind spots in your life. You need people around you. Second thing that I I would say is, I have found is extremely helpful is devote yourself to a community of faith. Now, this is more than just your small group of of, friends with whom you can be vulnerable. Find a community like this that you can devote yourself to. Romans 12, 10 says, be devoted one to another. That's within the context of a community of faith. Devote yourself to a community because within that community, you can see how God might be working in bigger ways than just you. That's where growth happens within a community of faith. I mean, how many times in, in the Bible does it say one another, right? Especially in the New Testament, dozens of times there are what we call the one another passages. You don't experience, you, you don't grow in the one another stuff unless you are with one another, You can't bear with one another if you aren't with one another. You can't forgive one another unless you're in a context where someone could actually wrong you. You can't serve one another if you don't show up. You can't love one another if you never see one another. You have to be devoted to a community of faith. And trust me, it'll get hard. Things will happen. You'll want to run. You'll say, you know what? There's a better church right down the street, right? Where that person doesn't go. They've got, well, they, there's no other church around here that's going to have better music. So that's not an issue. But, you know, they're, they're, they're going to have something that this doesn't. They're going to do this. They don't have this. They aren't doing And, and you're going to find reasons. But stick with it. Because it's in that tension that we grow. It's leaning into it that pushes us forward. Last thing, we'll wrap up with this. And it's kind of obvious, but I just I feel like I have to say it. Stick with Jesus. Even when you don't get it. Stick with him. You know, following Jesus is not just a one-time decision. Right? It's not something you do and then you're done. And I never have to think about it again. It is a day-to-day process. See, Sometimes that pain does come in and we can't explain it. We don't understand it. But here's the thing. Sometimes God has to break me before he can shape me so he can remake me. And the only way that happens is if I stick with Jesus, even when I don't get it. This isn't blind, mindless faith. This is faith that is based in, as Hebrews 1 says, the substance of things hoped for. Hebrews 11.1, 1, right? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, right? The, the hope of things not seen. Like the disciples, we can often miss it. Jesus can tell us exactly what's going to happen and how deep his love is for us that he would go through that and we can look at him and say, I don't get it. And he says, no, 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 you're gonna. Stick with me. 
stick with me. And too often we can miss that main point that Jesus died. And I love the song we sang in communion. What a perfect time to do this. He didn't stay dead. He went through all that, the planned pain, so that he could overcome death and invite us to follow him in life, eternal life. I think sometimes we forget. We miss it. Jesus died for us. Don't let the significance of those words miss you this morning. We've all falled, falled, fallen. We've all failed God. And yet, he didn't forsake us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, just as it was predicted. Jesus said, this was the plan. I'm going to die in your place. And now you can live as a full member of God's family, even though you've probably screwed it up a few times. Will you just follow me? Maybe today was just a glimpse of the beauty of God's plan for us. Maybe you feel like right now you're in the dark and you you don't really understand the big picture because you can't see it because no one's dropped a coin in the box and the lights haven't come on and you can't see anything and you say, God, are you still there? I don't think you are. I don't understand. And maybe today, for just a moment, you're seeing that Jesus is there calling you, saying, trust me, I got you. I'm with you, and I want you to be with me. Let's pray this morning. Father, um, thank you for this amazing church. Uh, It is just, it's such a privilege to be here. You are present here, and we, it's amazing. God, I pray your blessings on it. Pray your blessings on, on Pastor Jason as he is on sabbatical, God. This church loves him and is with him. And so I pray that you would guide him. I pray for Pastor Graham and for Heather. Continue to use them in some tremendous ways. Because I know their heart is to walk with you. And God, for the people that are here this morning, for those that are, that are watching, God, I, I pray that for just a moment, the lights will come on and a glimpse of you would remind them that it, in spite of what's going on, you are there and you have a plan and you love them and you are calling them to yourself. And for those that are here that maybe have never actually placed any trust in you, they're just checking this thing out. They're like, whoa, 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 these people might be a little crazy. I want to find this out. I want to see what's going on. God, I pray that this morning they would say, you know what? I'm ready to take a risk. I'm ready to step out and say, Jesus, I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to start following you. See where you take me. God, for people who are right there, I just ask that you would... You would direct them, and they would sense your calling to them, and they could pray something like that so they would know you. 
We give you the glory and we thank you for your love in Jesus' name. Amen.